Welcome to the You Are Love podcast, cultivating health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. In a world where it's easy to forget, we are here to remind everyone every day, you are love. I'm super excited to be speaking with an amazing woman today, Cheryl O'Loughlin. She's an inspiring female entrepreneur who has over 20 years of experience leading natural products companies. As the former CEO of disruptive companies like Cliff Bar, Rebel, and Plum, which she also co-founded, she's going to share the ups and downs and everything in between of being a female badass in the business world with us today. In 2017, Cheryl introduced her first book, Killing It, which is focused on the mental health of entrepreneurs. And Cheryl's also the co-founder of the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Collaborative. She also co-founded and is board chair of the Women on Boards Project. Both are nonprofits focused on supporting and advocating for a more inclusive industry and economy to drive innovation, growth, profitability, and justice. And she's currently on the board of Pet IQ, which is a public company. And personally, she's an avid camper and traveler, and she lives in Santa Rosa, California with her husband, Patrick, and their two sons. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'm so excited that you said that you would be on my podcast today. So thank you so much for joining. Oh, I'm so honored, Nika. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I think the last time that we spoke, I was planning on joining one of your conferences that you were putting on for women at Expo West, and then COVID happened and the whole um, Expo West got canceled. And I think that was the last time that we really communicated. It was about a year ago. You're right, because that's when it shut down. We- yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy uh, year, hasn't it? <laughs> the weird thing is that it continues. I, I just feel so lucky that you know, my family's healthy, everyone's healthy, we're happy. So many people are struggling so much through this whole thing, and it just continues. Hopefully, I'll have vaccines by the end of May if this really does happen. Yeah, it has been such a crazy time. Um, So I wanted to start out asking you kind of, I mean, when we talked before, you know, we were taught, we, you shared some stories and I shared some stories just about our journey as being women founders. And, um, you know, you've obviously had a lot more experience than I have. I, I started out with no business experience whatsoever with my background in Chinese medicine and acupuncture and was kind of like thrown into this world of, you know, being on a board and, um, dealing with investors and trying to figure out, you know, the whole lingo and language <laughs> of investment and, you know, all of that. Um, but how did you, I'm so curious, cause I don't think you told me, how did you, have you always been an entrepreneur and really, um, kind of geared towards business or how did you kind of become you? <laughs> well, that's, it's a, I'm laughing because when in the early days, if you would have told me I was going into business, I would have been horrified. I'll tell you a quick story of what happened. I was always so interested in working on issues around social justice, and my best friend lived next door to me, and we used to spend hours and hours just talking about how we were going to change the world and you know, and fight poverty and, and fight racism and um, endless conversations on this. So then I ended up going away to University of Michigan. I'm from Michigan. She went to Michigan State. And we were talking on the phone one day and she said, and she said to me, well, you know, what'd you major? What'd you decide to major in? And she said, I, I decided to major in political science. What, what about you? And I said, 
Well, and here I had been worried about because I was worried about how would I continue to pay for school? Um, my mom wasn't able to pay for it anymore. And I said, well, the easiest way to make money is to go into business. So I said to her, well, I decided to major in business and heard this pause. And she says, shame on you and hung up on me. We didn't talk for 15 years. Are you kidding me? This stuck with me until I went to Cliff Bar and realized there could be a different reason for being in business, that there could be a, a reason to be in business that had impact way beyond just the, the company itself in terms of having positive change in the world. But that sat with me, that feeling of that I was just a horrible person sat with me for years. Aww. You know what? That's so interesting because... I remember, you know, when Urban Remedy got a little bit bigger and then we took investment from different companies and um, sitting, you know, I remember one time specifically, I was sitting with some people that were very like-minded and really interested in alternative health and, and they were sitting there and we had gotten an investment from General Mills, which was a very difficult decision to make. I think you and I talked yeah. about that before. Yeah. Um, and they started saying, oh yeah, well, I can't remember what company they were talking about, but they said, you know, whatever, it was like a vegan cheese company or something, you know, they got purchased by General Mills. So we are not going to buy, you know, their product anymore. And it was almost like, you know, it, it's, it's a really yeah. interesting thing in business because I started Urban Remedy really because I wanted to do good in the world and share, you know, this healing food with people. But as you grow and you want to touch more people, you know, then you have to make certain decisions and there's a lot of judgment that comes with expansion yes. of your business. And it's, it is, it's almost like you're like the bigger you get, it's like you kind of turn into the bad guy and it's a, it's a really weird place to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What happened when you talked to your friend 15 years later? <laughs> I'm laughing because I keep forgetting parts of the story until you ask. Um, believe it or not, she went and she got her PhD in um, anti-violence work, and she ended up working for a company that was focused on anti-violence work. So she actually, what brought us back together was she said, oh, I decided to work in corporate America. Oh, wow. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like when you're a small business or a small company, there's so many th more things that you can do, but as you grow and you really want to touch more people, um, you know, there it's, it's like this catch 22, you know, and one of the things, the reasons that I ended up being excited about getting an investment, um, from an arm of, um, General Mills was because I learned, you know, how much, um, farmland they were turning organic. And so that really made me realize, mm -hmm. wow, if we can help, big food change and really see that more people want organic and change more of the farmland, which is going to, you know, heal our soil and obviously end up helping our, our own microbiomes. Like there's so much more good that we can do, but a lot of people don't see it like yeah. that. You know, they see these big companies as pure evil. And I think a lot of the big companies, you know, are, are evil in some ways, you know, but um, it's, it's really a balance that we have to find. Exactly. And I remember, and, you know, the, even the early days of Plum. So here we started a company that was all about helping kids develop a lifetime love of healthy eating. And we had 
come out with these pouches for baby food that you see all over the place now. But at the time, it was really only those packages were only found in Europe and Asia. And the beauty of of it was that it may it helped the baby food to be much more pure. That was what the focus was at the time. And so we felt like we were we were doing helping parents to be able to feed as close to making your own baby food as possible, but still allowing you to be able to have the life that we all have on the go or we had before COVID. And we used to get so many people call in and say, thank you. This changed my life. My life is so much easier. I'm still making my own baby food, but I'm also using this when we when we, I need it. But then we'd get other feedback, which was, how could you do this? This is unpure. This is never right to try to 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 facilitate convenience. Oh, wow. And so it, there really is, what I started to learn over time is that you have, you be grounded in your vision and what you're trying to do and what is most important. You can't be everything to everyone. It's like that thing that they always tell you, not everyone's going to like you. And that's going to happen as you run a business. And it hurts so badly because you feel like it's part of your identity when someone says that. Yeah. I've just learned to take a step back and say, am I doing what's right? Am I moving forward on things that I'm getting feedback about that I think are really important to move towards, but I can't be perfect. And it's like you, for me, I'll always like, if one thing goes wrong, I'm always you know, that's what I focus on. If one person emails and said, oh, I got a, you know, a vegan Caesar and something was wrong with it. And then we got like 10 people saying, oh, I got these, you know, I love your items or whatever. I'm always focused on the negative one and like, oh my God, what was wrong with that? What did we do wrong? It's so easy to just stay focused on, you know, the few negatives, um, you know, instead of the positives, but that's something that I think I've been working on too. And as women, you know, we want to be perfect and there is more pressure on us, um, I would say, than um, men entrepreneurs in certain ways, which we've discussed about. And how have you navigated that? Like you have been the CEO of three like absolutely amazing food companies. And um, I, it's so amazing. I mean, seriously, what you've accomplished and what you've done. Um how, I mean, I, this is kind of a general question. I know I said I was going to ask you like too many generalized questions, but, but honestly, like what, what's your, what would you, what advice would you give women that are just starting out that really, you know, and I, and one thing I just wanted to say is I think there is a difference between somebody who is really passionate about something and wants to start something based on their passion and their excitement and, and like doing what they're really meant to be doing in the world. And then somebody who just wants to be an entrepreneur, but doesn't really know what direction they want to go in, but they know that they want to be in business. You know, those are two kind of different paths. But, you know, for somebody that is for, you know, a a younger woman who is starting off and they have an idea or something that they're creating, um, that they're super excited about, what would be the best advice that you would give somebody that's kind of starting out in the business world? Um, wow. Yeah, that is a, that is a big question. And I know it is. Well, for one is I, I, you know, when I was at Stanford and I was running the center for entrepreneurial studies over at the Stanford graduate school business. And a big part of my experience there was 
entrepreneurs coming in to me to get advice or future entrepreneurs, students who were looking to get advice in their companies. And I'll tell you, I was amazed at the difference between when the men would walk into my office and talk to me about their idea and the women. And I'm going to say at the end, I'm going to get to one of the punchlines, which is that in no way do I think this is a reflection of women. I think this is what I'm going to say is a reflection of society. So what would happen is the men would come in and I'm telling you, I would have these guys that would go off on these ideas where literally I could not understand for the life of me what the idea was. It literally would go on. I remember one guy, he literally went on for 20 minutes trying to describe something to me. And I kept asking him for clarification, could not understand. And he was so proud and he shared this thing that made no sense. And then and he would always look straight at me. And then the women would walk in my office. I, I'll always remember this one. She had such a good idea. And the whole time she was talking so quietly and looking down. Aww. And I said, look, look at me, look me in the eye. Your idea is so good and it is so clear and it is so needed. This, you should feel so proud of this. It presented to the world with the amount of pride that, that you should have in what this idea is. Again, not her fault feeling that way because I think if it's women we've been beaten down for so long and tell, told we're too aggressive and um, we're not likable enough so that happens to us but we know we're dealing with a world that's still mostly male investors and still mostly male leadership and still mostly male boards and so we being able to stand up and feel that sense of pride we have to fight against that societal feeling of we're not good enough yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, it's so difficult. I, you know, I founded Urban Memory, so I've had experience with Urban Memory the last nine years before that I had my acupuncture practice. But, you know, surprisingly, I have had a couple experiences where I actually have dealt with that firsthand, which is really surprising to me because, um, and I'm not going to tell those specific stories because I don't think it's appropriate in this context, but, um, I will say, you know, when I did take my first round of funding about eight years ago, um, I was the only woman on the board. And, you know, at that time, um, I had no idea what it even meant to be on a board. And um, funny enough, like I would, they would say, well, what's the ROI of, you know, whatever this product. And I would like have to literally get my phone out and Google what does ROI mean? I mean, I literally had no idea. And I didn't, because I just didn't speak that kind of language. I would, I could tell you anything about Chinese medicine and healing and acupuncture, um, but I just didn't speak the lingo. And so it was really difficult um, to be in that environment and really not understand the language, right? Because there really is a specific kind of ling- language and lingo yes. around um, business and investment and your return on investment and all of that. And it's really, it's extremely um, intimidating to be sitting in a boardroom as a woman, you know, and already feel like, oh, I don't even know what it means to really be on a board. And what do I say? And I was the CEO and I had no idea what it meant to be a CEO. And I had to learn, you know, just from sitting there and from experience and asking a lot of questions and being really embarrassed 
um, you know, what it meant. And it was, I could still look back on those times and I can't even believe that I kind of got through that because I just had no idea what I was doing, but I had a good idea and I was doing something I was passionate about and I knew I was really good at it, but I was definitely not a good CEO. I don't think because I, you know, I had no experience with that, but, um, but none of us are, well, I don't know. I feel like if you go to business school, you know, if you've gone to business school and you really kind of understand like investment and, you know, marketing and all of that kind of stuff, you kind of like speak the lingo and understand somewhat, right? But I mean, somebody like me, I mean, I didn't understand. I mean, I had a bit, I have a sense for business for sure. I have like, there's like street smarts for business where you understand, you know, the basics and you get it, right? And then there's, you know, there's the education. Yeah. Being being on a board, and I think you you brought up such a good point in feeling that you're you don't know what's happening in the boardroom, and you brought up well maybe in business school you learn these things, and I'll tell you, Nika, business school you learn general concepts on things, but it's not until you're in it and experiencing it that you're learning. I mean, I I do think a great way to learn is to be in a company where you're getting to have the experiences in operations and finance and marketing. In a, it, it, that's so helpful when you get to a CEO position to have experienced all of that. It's definitely it definitely makes it easier. But at the same time, so many people are entrepreneurs now, and so, so people don't know. So many people don't know, and it's a matter of us getting getting learning from everyone we can. Yeah. I mean, I, I t- the hardest thing, too, is when you're taking investment, which so many of the companies in our industry, in the natural products industry, are all investor-based. So the investors have all of this experience. Yeah. And you have none. So you feel like the power dynamic feels really scary. And it is. I mean, they always say you got to have a good lawyer because the investors know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. So that's that power dynamic that we all have to hold hands and help each other. Um, I'll tell you one more thing that has really helped me just even recently. I just joined um, this public company, PetIQ, as we said, and another woman started the same day. So it wasn't just me. And so her and I are, while we're doing the board meeting, we're texting each other. Did you understand that? What did that mean? what a difference it made because I would have sat there and been like, I don't understand what's happening on certain parts of this conversation. It gave me the confidence. It gave her the confidence. We're actually together giving them questions together to answer the CEO. So we learn, but we're learning together. So it's not just a lot of times people talk about, well, I've got one woman on my board, so I'm good. Absolutely not. It's until you have two or three women on the board that it starts to really change the culture and make a difference. So we've got to know, we've all got to be out for each other, having each other's backs and helping each other to get on boards and supporting each other in our executive position. I am so happy to hear you say that because I wish I had that. I now I look back and I'm like, you're right. I was with my investors who were all on the board. And I was the only woman. It was the first time I was a CEO and you feel very insecure. And so I was scared to even talk about like changing the design of the product or naming or things that I was very, you know, I had a lot of um, ideas about and a lot of opinions about, but I didn't want to feel or sound like 
you know, it, the bitch. Right. And I mean, and then eventually, you yeah. know, after a year, I was like, oh, I'm going to sound like the bitch because otherwise, you know, my company right. is going to turn into their company and lose, you know, everything that I wanted to create. And, um, and so finally, you know, I had to do that. And, and I really do feel like I did come off as the bitch because I wasn't like being quiet and easygoing. And I think men, I mean, I really think it's true. Like for when a man, a man is powerful and saying, well, yep. this is what I think we should do, blah, blah, blah. N- sitting next to a woman that says, this is what I think we should do. And this is the way I want to do it. The woman does come off um, more as a bitch a lot of the time. And it is really. Yes. Well, it's, it's societal pressure. I was literally just having this conversation with somebody who was giving me some advice on being uh, being in the boardroom. And they said, you know what? And this was actually a woman who has very good, really good expertise in this area. And I, I, I was stunned that she said this, which really reminded me how we have a long way to go. She said, you know, Cheryl, you've got to understand that the most important thing right now is to is to get everybody to like you in this board. Mm-hmm. That's what then will give you the tr- the trust to be able to then sh- uh, you know put, share new ideas and and ask questions and really start to challenge things. Mm-hmm. You've got to understand you because you're a woman. Unfortunately, you have this pressure right now to be liked that a guy would not have the pressure on. He can come into the meeting and be aggressive um, and he'll be thought of as just having a a good, strong point of view. You do that, you're thought of as just what you said, Nika, you're thought of as the bitch. And what a shame that it's still that way, but this is why we have to get more women, for example, in board seats. What needs to change is the culture. Exactly, and I can't even, the fact that you just said, that a, another woman told you, you have to get people to like you. I mean, that is so old and ingrained in us as women yes. is like yes. getting people to like us to get what we want and and being the yes. good girl and being, you know, the, the nice one. And, and that means really not being in our power and using our voices and speaking our truth, which is like one of the most important things that we need to do as women. Cause that's where our creative energy comes from as well. It's like using our voice and our creativity and our and expressing our truth. That's where our beauty and our ideas and our power comes from as women. And so, you know, breaking that when I was in that first board, I also had just my child was like, my son was probably about six or eight months old, and I was still breastfeeding. And I, I mean, that's oh, another wow. thing. I mean, I literally would be in a board meeting and I would have to excuse myself to like go pump. Or, and I always brought my son with me or I'd be like, I've got to go do this. And so like being a mom and you, you have two sons. Um, and I was, I enjoyed reading that, that, that part in your book as well about being a mom and being in business and working a lot and all of those pressures. I mean, I started Urban Remedy when my son, when I was pregnant with my son. And so he's been, you know, I look at all the pictures and I look at him as you know, my, uh, my second baby and well, he's my first baby, Urban Remedy he's my second baby. And, and just like all the cycles that I've gone through and the pressures, you know, of working wow. and being yeah. a single mom and always bringing him to work and not being able to like 
do all the things that like this day at home moms do. And I like, I was reading that part in your book where you were in the car and one of the moms was like giving you shit for um, like, well, why don't you show up as much? And why are you working that much? And, and it's so, I mean, it's so difficult to be a mom and have the pressures of being a CEO um, or, or any, you know, or doing any job for that matter as a mom, but, you know, having that amount of pressure where you can't, um, where you can come home and like not take your work home, you know, when you're a CEO, it's like, that's impossible to do. And you did it with two. How old are your sons now? Uh, 20 and 17. Oh my God. <laughs> I miss my 20 year olds. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's hard. And, you know, at the same time, it's, it's, how do we create a better way of being where we're not having to feel all of that? What you know, women, we have so many multiple roles that we're serving and that we feel like we've got to do them all perfectly. We're going back to that perfect again, where uh, many men, not all men, uh, but many men have this ability to be able to silo things and not worry about the other thing. That's that many of us are not built that way. So what is a better way forward so that we don't have to feel like we're always doing something wrong and bad and not well? I was just um, wa- looking at videos with my son from a, a you know, from years ago. And there was a video when he was like, he must've been four. And he, he was like, he picked up a little cup of tea and he goes, uh, or a cup of, you know, a little kid's cup. And he goes, bye, bye mom. And I go, where are you going? And he goes, bye. I've got to go to work. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm going to work and I'll see you later. Bye. And I, I started to cry when I watched it because it made me so sad because I was like, wow, he was emulating me and I should have been home with him and not, you know, always saying bye, I have to go to work. And it really made me sad. And then I started to think, oh my God, was like, I not there for him or whatever. But I think those are the things, you know, it reminded me of how much pressure I had, you know, when he was that age and that I was going to work and, you know, and that he was emulating, you know, a mom that was saying bye and drinking her coffee, even though I don't drink coffee, but whatever I was drinking and leaving. And, um, there's a lot of pressure, not, you know, to not be like that. And I did bring him to work a lot with me and I, I, you know, all of my free time was spent with him, but it, there's so much pressure, you know, as a mom to, uh, you know, do it right and be the perfect mom and, and also, you know, be a good CEO or a good entrepreneur. And it's, it's really difficult. Well, and at the same time, so on the flip side, wow, he saw you going to work. He sees you, you started this company that is doing so incredibly well. My God, Nika, how inspiring is that for him to now think this is the way the world is. I'll always remember my, I was having a conversation with my sons and I, I was, I said to them, I, I don't remember what I was doing, but I had a, it, there was some discussion about women in leadership. So I just asked him a general question. I, I said, I said, guys, what, what do you think about women in leadership roles? And they both looked at me like, I don't understand the question. Why is there even an issue? So uh, what you, what you've showed your son is the way that's the way it should be. And knowing you, you put so much love into that kid. I have no doubt that he feels 
love every day. He doesn't have to have 100% attention every day. In fact, oh my gosh, there was this thing. Do you remember the book um, called Flow? It was... It, it was a book about the, the state of flow. It was written a long time ago, but it was a state of flow where you're so into something that you lose track of time. Like in an athlete, a climber performing their sport and just all time goes away. It's the old, you know, an ultimate state to be in. So one of the things that he talked about that so struck me was he said, you know, we we need to understand that when we are on top of our kids all of the time, our kids start to think there is no life outside of just being on top of a kid. So why the heck would I want to grow up and do this all the time? It's not that's not motivating and inspiring. What's inspiring is seeing an adult live their life, be with their kids, go to work, be with their spouse and significant other and enjoying things beyond just the one thing, being on top of kids. So, you know, it's something we, again, our perspective, how do we uh, shift the paradigm so that we give ourselves permission to do these things that are actually really healthy? Totally. And you know what? Thank you so much for saying that because you're so right. You are so right. I mean, there's always, you know, there's always give and take and we always think, you know, you can never be a perfect parent no matter what. But but it is true. My son is so proud. Like I'll see him and he goes, my mom makes this or whatever. And he's super proud of me. And so it is true. I, I think I do hope that, you know, he will see women in, you know, in business as a normal thing and, you know, be a man who really respects women and, and, you know, treats women the yes. way he would treat anybody. So thanks for saying that, because I do think that that is true. And that is, um, you know, a really, really important point to make is, and, you know, as we're working, we're emulating and, you know, showing our boys or, you know, our kids, um, that women can be powerful and that, that we can, we do a lot and women are, women do so much and we have so many roles and, um, you know, and it is obviously, you know, a lot different than being a, a dad or a man. And, um, I mean, and they have their own, you know, challenges as well, but, um, yeah, being a, a mom and, and being a CEO is very, it, it, it does have its challenges and there's not a lot of us out there. And that's why I was so excited to talk to you and a couple of my other uh, female founder or CEO friends, because we need more women to step into those roles as CEOs, CFOs and entrepreneurs and founders. And so, yeah, um, I was just, I was just going to say, and I'll, I'll also redefine, you just said, I think you said something so important and that's redefining what power means and what nurturing means. So there is no reason why power can't be about nurturing and about um, camaraderie and collaboration. There, that's powerful. But yet we have this old, you know, very quote unquote masculine definition of what power is. And vice versa for men, the idea of nurturing that you're not powerful when you're nurturing, when I know my husband is, is very nurturing to me and to our kids, and that's powerful. So how do we redefine some of these things that are, the, the definitions of which are so old that they're holding 
not just us back as people, but our organizations back. God, that is so true. And I feel so lucky. And I know you and I have talked about it before. Um, My CEO, once I found my CEO and I thankfully stepped down as CEO so I could do what I really wanted to do, which is be creative and, you know, all the marketing and all that kind of stuff for Urban Remedy. You know, I'm so lucky and grateful that I found a CEO or a CEO found me who really um, supported my vision and supported me as a partner because um, to be a founder and, you know, this was my baby and my idea and, you know, my creation and to be able to work with a man partner as a CEO is really scary. And I'm so grateful because I have the best, I've had so many women, um, not so many, but friends that are women that I've heard their stories about, you know, things that have happened when they've brought in CEOs and I just have the best CEO. I mean, Mm. he is so respectful and supportive and nurturing. Mm. And, um, I just, I thank my lucky stars for him every day. Yeah. He is amazing. So I think, and when I've talked to you know, um, women that are starting their businesses and stuff. And they're like, Oh, I, you know, I know I need to have a CEO. And they all say, I want to find somebody like Paul. I'm always like, don't take Paul, but you know, (laughs) there's other Pauls out there. I don't know if there's a lot of them, but, um, it is such a blessing and it is rare to find men, um, who will support and share the vision and come from a a more feminine place of, collaboration and really supporting culture. It sounds like you have that at Cliff, you know, in your partnership there in terms of vision and, you know, a culture and collaboration. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, it's, it's everything, right? Uh, It's, it's everything what you're saying. And I know there's so many relationships that haven't worked out because you don't have that support and trust and respect with each other. So what you have with Paul is really special. Most of many, many, many relationships fall apart. Any relationship, it's hard enough to stay married, as we know with the divorce rates, let alone a partnership in business where you're almost spending more time together. Yeah. But that says a lot about not just Paul. It says a lot about you and who you are and being welcoming to somebody to help to guide your baby. That's really hard to let go. A lot of founders have a hard time. So it's not just Paul, Nika, it's you. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. I think I got to a point where I knew that I needed somebody around me that, you know, like I said, I didn't even know what ROI was for a minute there. So, you know, that really understood um, about growing a business and marketing and how to do that. And so it's so important to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and that have more experience and that you're doing what you're really good at and what you're passionate about and bringing somebody in who, you know, can support your vision and help you grow. And I think, you know, one of the other things I learned from Paul that, you know, I definitely created a culture of people who were really excited about what we were doing and people who were really passionate about clean eating and the environment and the organic movement, non-GMO and the soil and all of that. Um, but but Paul really came in and helped me really expand and build on that culture. And I, and I read about that in your book as well. 
um, about how that, how important that is. And when I was reading that, I was like, it is so true, you know, to surround yourself with people that love what they do and are really excited. And it's almost like a movement that's created mm-hmm. where you're all working together for the same mm-hmm. vision, you know, for health and wellness and to empower people to be the best that they can be. And it's such a special feeling, isn't it? When you, when you have a team that is so excited you know, about something so positive in the world. There's just something so amazing about that. It seems like you've had that, you know, at all of the companies that you've been a CEO of. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I feel so lucky to have had that. And now like with a, with the Jedi collaborative, again, it stands for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And now really being able to help the natural products industry, which really, I mean, here we're an industry that's all about healthy products. Um, but yet we've gotten it to a small them to a small sliver of people and mostly white people of privilege. And so now being able to be part of a movement at an industry level, I, you know, I feel the same way that I've felt in all these companies that have been so lucky to be part of where there's an exact feeling that you're talking about. And to see that happen at an industry level as we've gotten more and more leaders and people involved. It's incredibly uplifting to see how much care is in our industry, but we have to take the blinders off in terms of we've been very narrow into who who feels like they belong in our industry. And we need to open up a lot more because our companies will not survive in the future if we don't have more diversity, more inclusion, more equity, and more justice. We can't, we have a country that is gonna be majority people of color. You eat Canthers, Harvard Business School articles about this over and over. You will not make the best decisions if you don't have diversity, period. That's why there is so much pressure right now. You have to. We will all be better where we start to create change. What are some tips? Because, you know, we're trying to do that at Urban Remedy as best we can. Um but like for me, like what would be some tips that you could give me with Urban Remedy? Like we're, we're trying to create um, like a foundation and different key points that we use in terms of inclusion and diversity. Um, and there, it's, it's kind of a confusing area because um, you don't want, you know, you want to work with people because they're good at what they do and so on. And you don't, it's like hard because you don't, like even when I'm interviewing somebody, I want to give somebody, I want to hire somebody because they're really good and passionate about what they do and they're going to do a good job. And then how do you make that decision and also make the decision like, but I need, I also need more people of color and I need more women. And I need, like, how do you like incorporate all of that? Because it is, it, it, there is like a gray area kind of in that arena as well. Like what would be the best advice that you can give a company to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk about this for hours and I, part of it, and then I'll take it back to a big picture thing. We have always looked to our networks in terms of the next best person, because we think that once, because we know someone, it, that's going to be the best person we feel comfortable or because their resume looks a certain way, they're the best person. What is What that has caused is us to overlook people that are just as qualified and that have May, a different background than what we're used to. There is so much bias in our interview processes and how we look at resumes and even, you know, even in our corporate policy, our HR policies. 
And what we need to start to do is start to look at ways to take the bias out. And let me give you a very specific example of this. So yeah, there's reams of data on the fact, go back to women, that men, we expect men, they can be light on some experience, but they'll figure it out. With women, we expect that they've had more experience. We, they have to have even more experience to be qualified for a job. People of color, especially people who are black, that's been even worse. And so this whole movement is about taking out the learning how to take out the bias. I, and so what, what I would suggest to everybody is go to JediCollaborative.com, J-E-D-I collaborative.com. And we have a whole section that helps the companies understand how to think about their company culture and what steps they can take to improve diversity and inclusion in their co company culture. We also have a whole section on consumer. How do we think differently about the consumers so we're not just so narrow on the consumers that we have now? Um, and also, also in terms of community. So how, who are we picking to help to do our advertising? Who are we working with in the supply chain? How are we treating our growers? We have to rethink this whole paradigm of how we're doing this work. And everybody starts on the HR side, which I think is right. You're asking the exact right questions. But we have to also think about this as an ecosystem. Our whole company paradigm needs to shift for us to really help people to feel included. But I would start by saying, go, go in Jedi Collaborative, into the culture section, there's a whole section in there on how to take bias out. I'm so excited. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to share it with our head of HR and we'll read it through together that I'm so glad I didn't know that you have that on there. And that's something that we it's really all free on. right now on the web. And we also have we have a lot of different programs to support companies. We have our early adopter program where there's some amazing companies part of it where we help them through the process. We have a lot of service providers on there that can also do that work. We're in the process of hiring an executive director to take this to the next level. So I really encourage people. I know this is top of mind for so many people. This is exactly why we started this, to help. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited. I'm definitely going to read that. Yay. Thank you. Um, I know we're kind of getting a little bit uh, low on time, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned when we were talking before about imposter syndrome. Can you like briefly explain that? Cause I'm very curious. Yeah. It's uh, which many women feel that we are always are doubting our abilities and we're feeling like a fraud. I know I've always feel that I'll sit in board meetings to this day. And I've done it a million times being like, I'm really stupid. How could I have said that? Oh, that's bad. Oh, they know that I haven't done this. And how, how dare I say this? So many of us have it. And what in the past, this concept has been talked about with, again, putting all the pressure on women that it's our problem. Here's another example. It's a societal problem. When people talk, when people talk over us in meetings, when we are told we're bitches, all that stuff makes us feel like we have imposter syndrome. It, and that's got to change. We're just as qualified. We are more qualified a lot of times than anyone else in the room. But yet, because we're women, it's our, the immediate impression is, oh, she can't have had that much experience. She can't know that. She's not as good. That's 
BS. <laughs> and that's got to shift, especially for people of color that have it even worse. God, that's crazy. I felt that myself so many times. I mean, I've, I've questioned myself and go, do I even know what I'm talking about sometimes? Because I'm like, who am I to, even though like I've, you know, have my master's in Chinese medicine. And so I, I can relate to that. And I think it relates to what you were talking about earlier, um, which is believing in ourselves and being able to listen to our voices and, you know, speak our truth and, and um, have clear communication yeah. because as women, we want to be the nice girl and people to like us. And so I think that's a good way to end is to really talk about that. Um, lastly, is like, how, how as women do we express our, how do we, how are we successful, express our voices, express our passion for what we want to do in the world and our gifts to share in the world and do it in a way where we can be uninhibited and living our truth and our passion and not worry about people liking us or being the good girl or fitting in. Like, what would be your best advice? I know that's like a really big realm. And I think, you know, it for me personally, it's something that I've been learning, you know, my whole entire life. And it's something that I think as women, we're constantly struggling against. Um, but would you think it's a learning process or what, what kind of advice would you give somebody about like just living your truth? Yeah, well, the biggest thing, and we were talking about this earlier is, for everyone who's listening, who is a leader, whether you're a founder, a CEO, or on a board, make sure to get more women to the table. Yes. Get yes. the men to get more women to the table. There's more pressure than ever to do this now. And we've got to move on this, keep this moving forward in a big way. And I'll tell you, there is no public company. There was just a study then when it came out from Harvard Business School. There is no public company now that would dare to uh, announce a new board seat without any women on their board um, it, because of the public pressure. But for private companies, especially investor-owned companies, the data is so bad uh, still to this day. Um, for example, as, as uh, investor seats, women hold 9% of investor seats in private companies, 9 7% executive director spots, 20% of independent director roles. And, and, and it's, just, it's just as bad also in executive positions. We have got to create this cultural change. And that's part of what we're doing on the Women on Boards project is to get pub, private companies that don't have this pressure to start, to, the public pressure to start to change. And so what we could do best for each other is make sure if there's a board role, Get women and get women in front of that. Tell our recruiters we will not for people of color too. We will not accept your slate until we have women women on it and people of color on that slate. Do not present candidates to me without it. Period. Get outside of your old small network. That's what's going to create the change. It's not on us as individuals. It's on mm -hmm. us together as a community. God, that's so powerful. I love that. Well. If there is any way I could help support what you're doing and your mission with women and inclusion, I mean, I would love to be a part of whatever you're doing because you're such an inspiration and it's such a powerhouse and really, you know, obviously leading this change and helping, helping give us a platform to have our voices heard and to, you know, have more inclusion and more women in the, in the world of business. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Seriously, you are incredible. 
Thank you so much, Nika. I'm just so honored to be to be talking with you. You're such an inspiration for me. I, I am so impressed as to how vulnerable you are. That is so hard for so many people to do. So, wow, what you're just you're you're amazing. I'm so glad you're my friend. Oh, I feel the same way. And I can't wait till we can get together and spend some time together having a, a lunch and, and really catching up. And I hope everybody, I mean, I learned so much from this podcast and I hope everybody will go to your website to Jedi and share that information with, you know, friends of yours that are entrepreneurs, if you're not an entrepreneur and other leaders in the industry and let's get the change started. You've got me inspired. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It was such a pleasure. And I cannot wait to see you soon once this COVID thing is over. That sounds great. All right. Take care. We were listening to Cheryl Lachlan discussing being a woman entrepreneur. I'm Nika Pasquale, and please join us next time on another episode of You Are Love.